Saturday night, November 26th, 1994. Plano East High School is taking on John Tyler High School in the quarterfinals of the Texas State Football Championship. Everyone is expecting an intense battle between these two previously undefeated teams. However, Tyler High unexpectedly dominates the game. Plano East is getting trounced, and with just three minutes left, they trail 41-17. to 17. But then, they manage to score. They're still way behind, their situation still seems hopeless, but they recover the onside kick, and they score again. And then again, and again, against all odds, they recover three consecutive onside kicks, and each time they quickly score. The result, four touchdowns in less than three minutes. And suddenly they're ahead 45 to 41 with just seconds left on the clock. It is the greatest comeback ever seen in Texas high school football. The Plano fans go wild while the players and coaches celebrate on the sidelines. The teams line up for the final kickoff to run out the clock. The Tyler players are in shock at how quickly they lost their lead, but, but they've not given up. And so when the ball is kicked, their blockers execute perfectly. Their runner breaks loose down the sidelines and he carries the kickoff back for the winning touchdown. Despite Plano's miraculous comeback, they lose the game. It's an amazing story on many levels, but here's the part that sticks with me. The East Plano team and fans celebrated too early. They thought they had won, but they actually wound up losing. And they're not alone. Other teams and other athletes have made the mistake of celebrating victory before the game actually is over. That's why legendary baseball player and coach Yogi Berra famously said, it ain't over until it's over. And that truism is one key part of the story of Easter Sunday. Because on Friday, the enemies of Jesus thought it was over. Jesus had been betrayed by one of his own disciples. He had been betrayed by the religious authorities and he had been betrayed by the civil authorities, all of whom wanted him dead. And so when Jesus was crucified and sealed in his tomb, they thought they had won. Not only had they stolen Jesus' life, they'd stolen his reputation by executing him in the most shameful way possible. Jesus was gone, and Jesus was done. He would become a non-entity who people never would talk about except in tones of scorn enemies of Jesus thought they were victorious. But that was Friday, and it wasn't actually over yet. Because on Sunday morning, everything changes. On Sunday morning, Jesus overcomes all of that human betrayal by overcoming death. Jesus leaves behind his grave clothes. He leaves behind an empty tomb, and he demonstrates categorically that he is alive. So the betrayers don't win, they lose. Matthew, one of Jesus' disciples, writes about that historic Sunday morning in Matthew chapter 28, verses 1 to 10. Please join me in listening to this simple, amazing report about what takes place on the very first Easter. After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, 
Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to look at the tomb. Look, there was a great earthquake, for an angel from the Lord came down from heaven. Coming to the stone, he rolled it away and sat on it. Now his face was like lightning, and his clothes as white as snow. The guards were so terrified of him that they shook with fear and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Don't be afraid. I know that you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He isn't here, because he's been raised from the dead, just as he said. Come, see the place where they laid him. Now hurry, go and tell his disciples, he's been raised from the dead. He's going on ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. I've given the message to you. With great fear and excitement, they hurried away from the tomb and ran to tell his disciples. But Jesus met them and greeted them. They came and grabbed his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Don't be afraid. Go and tell my brothers that I am going into Galilee. They will see me there. Because of the empty tomb, the enemies of Jesus lose. You see, they forget that it's not wise to battle against God because God's purposes always prevail. However, this situation really isn't like a football game. We wouldn't build this as a contest of Jesus versus the betrayers. It's, it's really a contest of Jesus versus sin. Jesus overcomes betrayal and death not to defeat people, but to defeat the sin that permeates human life. Jesus overcomes betrayal and death to offer every person the gift of forgiveness and hope and a transformed life. To offer every person the opportunity to experience the best that God has to offer. And that's why the biblical accounts of Easter morning do not spend time gloating about victory. Instead, they focus on how Jesus' resurrection changes people. Because once people accept the incredible truth that Jesus has done something only God could do, they're filled with joy. To help us see this in a personal way, I want to zero in on these two women mentioned by Matthew. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary. Mary Magdalene became a friend and follower of Jesus first, so the next Mary to join the group often was referred to as the other Mary. It wasn't a term of disrespect, it was just a way to distinguish between the two of them. I understand this because I once worked on a church staff where we had a longtime associate named Dave, and then we hired another Dave. And the second guy quickly became Dave too. It was just a form of verbal shorthand. That's what the disciples do with Mary Magdalene and the other Mary. And both of these women are devoted followers of Jesus. Both of them have experienced God's love in life-changing ways. And Mary Magdalene has perhaps more reason than most to be grateful. Why? Because when she first met Jesus, she was suffering from demonic affliction. Seven different evil spirits, seven of them, somehow had gained a foothold in her life, which means she was an emotional and spiritual mess. Now today, some people think of demonic affliction as a myth, but it's not. I've met individuals who were in bondage to evil spirits. Most often this occurs when people get involved with witchcraft or other occult practices, it also can result from the long-term use of hallucinogenic drugs. 
The fact is you and I can engage in all sorts of practices that may leave us spiritually vulnerable. And if we do such things, the enemy of God may take advantage of us. I've seen people in such bondage that they can't even think straight. I've seen God set them free. That's what we need to remember, that the power of God unleashed through prayer always breaks the power of the enemy. Here's something to think about, though. We don't need to be afflicted with an evil spirit to be in bondage. We can be in bondage to all kinds of things. We can be in bondage to the lure of money. We can be in bondage to pride or to gluttony. We can be in bondage to our political passions. We can be in bondage to fear and anxiety. Jesus wants to set us free from whatever ties us in knots, whether it's demon-inflicted or self-inflicted. Whatever the cause, Jesus has the power to break the chains that keep us in bondage, the power to set us free. That's what he does for Mary Magdalene. With seven evil spirits harassing her, she's in horrible bondage, and Jesus releases her from that sorry state. He restores her mind and her will and her emotions. He restores her soul. He restores her to the fullness of life. Only Jesus can do something like this. Can you imagine how thankful Mary is? It's no surprise that she becomes a deeply devoted follower of Jesus. So much so that she never stops following him. The same is true for the other Mary. They remain continually faithful. And so when Jesus is arrested, the other disciples all go into hiding, but but these women don't. They're present at the crucifixion. They watch the body of Jesus as it's sealed in the tomb. And even in death, they will not abandon their friend. And so here on Sunday morning, after the Jewish Sabbath is over, they head to the tomb just outside town. These two faithful Marys want to honor Jesus by ritually anointing his dead body. Let's try to put ourselves in their place for a moment. Their beloved teacher has been shamefully executed and And all hope seems gone. And as they make this walk to the tomb, I think they'd be filled with a sense of emptiness. The emptiness of devastation and loss. I think they'd feel grief. They might even be in shock. In fact, we know that they're distraught. They're so distraught that they're not thinking clearly because they have forgotten that the tomb is closed with a huge stone. There's no way for them to get to Jesus' body without help. However, as the two Marys arrive, all of a sudden the ground shakes and and an angel appears and the stone is rolled away and the angel tells them that Jesus is gone. And with the stone removed, they can look in and they can see for themselves that the tomb is empty. Now these two women, like the rest of Jesus' followers, have heard Jesus talk about the resurrection many times. He told them he would die and return to life, but it simply was too fantastic to believe. And yet now they see the empty tomb. Now they hear the words of the angel. And this seems to confirm that everything Jesus said might be coming true. All of a sudden their emotions are transformed. Instead of grief and sorrow, they now feel fear. The fear of holy awe. 
I think this is the most natural way for them to feel because they're experiencing cataclysmic events. An earthquake, very coincidentally timed. An angelic being who speaks. A stone miraculously moved away from the entrance. And an empty tomb. An empty tomb! On Friday, they watched Jesus' body be taken from the cross, wrapped in a burial shroud and sealed in this cave, and now the body is gone. Other than the earthquake, none of these things are explainable in human terms. I'm not surprised they're afraid. I'd be afraid too. It's overwhelming. And yet, despite their fear, there is a growing sense of joy. Joy that somehow, some way, Jesus really might be alive. So they do what the angel says and they rush away, heading back into town with their incredible news. I picture the two Marys hurrying down the path, talking excitedly, trying to make sense of what they've just seen and heard. Then they round a bend, and there's Jesus. Jesus! Alive! Standing on his own two feet! Jesus! And he speaks to them, and all they can do is fall at his feet and worship. Wouldn't you? I sure would. I'd do exactly what they do including the fact that they grab his feet as they bow before him. I understand that they want to touch him and make sure he's real. And he is. He is not a ghost. He is not a disembodied spirit. He is flesh and blood. Jesus, their rabbi, their teacher, their friend, their Lord is alive. This is not just some momentary fleeting glimpse of him because Jesus says he will show himself to the disciples. So the story still is not over. And these faithful women, these women who refused to abandon Jesus even in death, they now have the privilege of telling others what they have seen and heard. Jesus really, truly is alive. It should be no surprise that the resurrection fills them with Fear and joy, because this is a moment that changes everything. It transforms reality, and it ought to impact you and me in the same way because it defies human understanding. We really can't explain this. Not the exact way in which it happened. Bringing Jesus back to life is something only God could do. Yet this is more than just an exciting, amazing, logic-defying miracle. You see, now for the first time, there truly is victory over death. And if Jesus can conquer death, then he really is the Lord. He does have the ability to forgive sins and bring people into the presence of God. He really is the King of kings who will bring about the promised kingdom of God. The resurrection changes everything. This is why the resurrection stands at the center of the Christian faith. As the Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, If Jesus has not been raised, then our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. What's more, we have been false witnesses about God, because we testify that he raised Jesus from the grave. And if Jesus has not been raised, your faith is futile. You still are stuck in your sins. 
And that's why Paul also links our own personal rescue from sin with the events of Good Friday and Easter morning. Here's how he describes it in the book of Romans chapter 6. Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled might by sin might be done away with. That we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. This is the power of the resurrection. This is the meaning of the resurrection in your life and in mine. When we put our trust in Jesus and we express our faith through repentance and baptism, we die to our old way of life. We die to the power of sin and we are raised into a new life just as Jesus died and was raised. And Best of all, we have the assurance of our own resurrection when this life is over. When we die, we will be raised to live with Jesus forever. We have the privilege to live with Jesus both now and for eternity because and only because he lives. That is the hope. That is the promise. That is the guarantee of Easter. On that long ago Sunday, on the very first Easter morning, the two Marys met the living Jesus. They were filled with fear. They were filled with joy and they worshiped. And as we read ahead in the story, because the story is not yet over, we learn that their lives and the lives of others were transformed because of their ongoing relationship with the living Jesus. That's how they responded. And so I wonder, how do you respond to the incredible, mind-boggling fact of the resurrection of Jesus Christ.